Hello and welcome to a special Talking Naturally podcast presented by me, Charlie Moores, a lifelong birder with a passion for conservation and produced in association with Rare Bird Alert, the longest running bird news service in the UK and Wild Sounds and Books, a leading international supplier of wildlife books, audio and multimedia guides that also donates a significant proportion of its profits to bird conservation organisations. On Wednesday the 6th of May, Martin Harper, the RSPB's Conservation Director, posted a statement on his blog which began with the following two sentences. I'm afraid to be the bearer of extremely bad news regarding one of our rarest birds of prey. I've just received confirmation that three male hen harriers have disappeared from active nests in the forest of Boland. It's a remarkably restrained statement. I don't know, of course, but Martin must have been bursting with sadness and rage when he wrote those two lines. Yet they couldn't be more dignified or more controlled. But that is how wildlife crime must be discussed, especially in the initial stages of an investigation. It's almost certain that these harriers were deliberately targeted and killed. But as yet, there is no evidence and no proof. It's likely that someone will know who is responsible, but to speculate who that might be could lead to the investigation being dropped or the individual responsible claiming an unfair trial. Go too far and you may be sued for slander. While our legal system rightly states innocent until proven guilty, the irony is that wildlife criminals are adept at using the law and lawyers to protect themselves. And good men and good women must swallow hard and think even harder about every word they speak or write. I mention this because I happen to be at a long scheduled meeting in the Peak District the day after Martin posted his blog. I was meeting with Tim Melling and Helen Byron of the RSPB, Tim Birch of the Derbyshire Wildlife Trust, Mike Price of the Peak District Raptor Monitoring Group and my colleague at Birders Against Wildlife Crime, Phil Walton. We were there, ironically, to discuss Hen Harrier Day. Inevitably, thoughts turned to hen harrier deaths and a bird openly loathed by some landowners and their employees. After a long discussion on how best to do it, I recorded an interview with the two Tims, Mike and Phil. I would ask listeners to bear in mind the restraint and control that Martin Harper would have felt obliged to adopt. My remarks about slander and having to be very careful about what is said, and to remember that it's probably not just good men and good women who will listen to this podcast, but wildlife criminals and their lawyers too. I began the conversation by asking the RSPB's Tim Melling how he felt when he first heard the news about the disappearance of yet more Hen Harriers. I was absolutely blazing with rage, but 
really really sad for the hen harriers and the reason why is it's just we've seen this happen so many times over the years at this time of year birds are in tip-top condition there is abundant food for them and hen harriers are at the top of the food chain they don't just disappear or drop dead yet hen harriers seem to and uh, and it's always the males as well and this is because the females sit tight on the nest looking after the eggs whilst the male goes off hunting and we can sit and protect a nest 24 hours a day making sure nobody comes near it and that bird is safe but you can't look after a male that disappears off in any direction and time and again he will disappear over a hill onto a grouse moor and just not return and everybody knows what is happening to it obviously we, we, we can't say for certain what's happened with that but in the last 15 years there's been over a hundred prosecutions of people involved with crimes against birds of prey and about three quarters of those have been involved with the game bird shooting industry. Martin was sort of suitably circumspect wasn't he? Um, You have to couch this in terms of birds going missing until you can prove otherwise but uh Really, there isn't really any doubt what's happening to these birds, is there? No, as I've said, they're at the top of the food chain in the mildest time of year from weather when there is abundant food. Birds like that should not be just dropping dead when they're in the peak breeding condition. And why is it always the males as well? Somebody is killing those birds. We have to be circumspect about who has done it, but as I've already said, is that uh, of crimes against birds of prey, it's uh, about three quarters of them have uh, of the conviction have been against people involved with the the game bird shooting industry. We're here in Derbyshire, beautiful area. Mike Price, you've monitored this area for many years. This isn't unsurprising news, is it, to you? No, it's not uncommon. It's happened in the past with nesting attempts where the males have disappeared. And it's extremely disappointing just when you start to feel, last year we had a successful nest in the upper Derwent, you feel like you're starting to make some headway. It's extremely disappointing to see this sort of behaviour is still apparent and, and still happening in uh, with a bird that's so rare as a breeding species in England. People often ask, or birders in particular often ask, how does this happen? If, if you're out there watching the nests and you're on these areas, how is this still happening? I don't think people quite realise the size of areas, size of habitat that these crimes are taking place on. Yeah, there's some massive uh, unruly terrain, very difficult to get to. And the birds are wide-ranging. The male can range up to 10 kilometres from the nest site. So that gives you a massive area to try and cover to protect that bird. And it can be an opportune moment as the bird's going past, somebody decides that they don't want it there. It's as simple as that. Tim, Tim Birch, what's your response to the news given out on Martin's blog yesterday? On the, on the hen harriers in the Boland area, I mean, I have to say on behalf of the Wildlife Trust, where we find it extremely upsetting and disappointing that actually these birds are not able to breed successfully. Um, one of our core strategies is what's known as a living landscape. That's wildlife everywhere for everybody. Um, that's what our mission is about. Um, clearly, with birds going missing, um, presumed dead, we're not getting a hen areas um, back in areas where, where people should be expecting to see them. And it's very sad that people are being deprived the opportunity to see these majestic birds of prey. We're here in Derbyshire and we want to see hen areas back in their rightful place as a key bird of prey species back in the Peak District National Park. There's no question about that. Um, and we're working hard with many different organisations to try and achieve that. The response yesterday on social media was almost one of, well, how can they 
dare to get away with it when there's been such a focus um, with Hen Harriday last year, what's been going on, the RSPB. Um, everyone has actually been focusing on Hen Harris, and yet the crime, an alleged crime, still took place. What's the mentality behind this at the moment? How come this isn't stopping? I really can't answer that why anybody would do that and jeopardise the good name of shooting. You know, uh, game shooting has been a legitimate occupation in the past where people obey the law and take quarry species. Um, But because they have not obeyed the law, um, there is a big groundswell of opinion and a a rising public anger against driven grouse shooting because they're not staying on the right side of the law to blatantly remove three male hen harriers from a grouse moor area. It's just stupidity in my point of view and will only increase the, the groundswell of public opinion against grouse shooting. We're always told we're an RSPB Wildlife trusts, lots of uh, the organisations say the same thing, that we need to continue dialogue. Does this actually prove that there really is no point in continuing dialogue because this is still taking place? I mean, we've been having dialogue with the uh, grouse shooting industry for decades and decades and uh, we've sat and watched the hen harrier population go down from about 30 pairs I mean it even went down to no successful pairs a couple of years ago it's teetering on the verge of extinction in England and that's with uh, uh, many decades of of dialogue so uh, we've done all the talking and these crimes are still carrying on being committed so I think we need to step things up now. But does that include that we continue talking to them? Yes, well, I would never advocate not doing that because I'm sure that there are sensible people in there who can understand that this is really, really bad and bespurching the good name of of, of shooting. You know, it, it wasn't always tainted, but more and more the game shooting industry is just uh, sullying its reputation and that, again, is turning the public against them. Are we hearing about wildlife crime more because we're just highlighting it more because of social media, because of Twitter, because of Facebook, we're hearing about things? Or is it significantly worse now because of the intensification of the grass industry? I think that there has been an increase in wildlife crime and that the places where the highest wildlife crime is reported are places with grouse shooting. The the big point to make here is that this is just scratching at the surface. This is really the tip of the iceberg. I mean, once in a blue moon, somebody might find a a, a dead bird of prey that's been shot or whatever. Most of the time, it's just things disappear. And uh, and this, this is going on all over the place, but only a tiny little bit of it gets reported. So even now, oh, even now, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, you know because obviously if somebody shoots a bird of prey, they're not just going to leave the corpse there; they're going to get rid of the thing and uh, 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 remove the evidence. And it's only when a bird limps off, like Boland Betty did, the the famous hen harrier that was ringed in the forest of Boland a couple of years ago. Um, you know, she managed to limp off, been shot, and then died somewhere quietly with a radio transmitter, and she was found. But had she not got a radio transmitter on, that would have just been another part of the iceberg under the water that would have gone undetected, another bird that mysteriously vanished. Is that the same for you, Mike? You monitor these areas. Are you seeing an uptick in the crimes? It's difficult to determine when a crime has been committed, as Tim said. Um, 
what we monitor is the breeding attempts so we can see when there's certain areas where certain species of birds will be unsuccessful in several years and, and you know you've really got to question why this particular peregrine buzzard whatever it might be is so unsuccessful in that area and so has it changed any? I certainly think social media has changed the picture in that we're seeing far more of these things. People are far more aware. The more people that are aware, the more things get reported. So has, is that having an effect on the perceived amount of crime? Has it always been exactly the same? Yeah, I'd yeah. say it, it seems to come in, in uh, peaks and troughs. At times, it seems to be tolerated more for a while. And then at times, it, it's, it drops back down to, to no tolerance whatsoever particularly the last decade to a decade and a half, I'd suggest that it has become more intensive and that we are seeing less successful breeding. Another thing that is quite interesting was, uh, I think it was 2001, wasn't it, when we had the foot and mouth year and, um, and the public was kept out of the countryside. We weren't allowed in there in case we um, uh, spread the disease. And so whole areas of moorland were, uh, were no-go out. Nobody was allowed in there. And what we found was during that year, uh, well, as an example, 13 pairs of goshawks disappeared from the northeast part of the Peak District strict moors and have never returned so we had 13 pairs of goshawks there every year up until foot and mouth year and then all of a sudden they vanished when and the public weren't allowed yeah when the, the public weren't, weren't, what was going weren't, on, weren't keeping an eye on yeah. but the thing is is that that pressure has kept up and there, there's no nest there to fail because the birds just aren't coming back so that you know there appeared to be an intensification around about that time in 2001 and that that intensification had that sort of zero tolerance of birds of prey in that part of the world has kept up. One of the heated um, discussions around hen harriers has been the issue of brood management. The RSPB has cautiously come out saying they would support some sort of brood management once the populations of hen harriers have reached a certain level. I know the Trophoboland incident was only reported yesterday, so there's been no time for reflection on this. But do you think brood management will still be on the table? Well, um, my understanding was that RSPB would consider discussing brood management only once we've got a good, strong, healthy population of hen harriers back in England. At the moment, we're teetering on less than a handful of, of pairs. That's nowhere near enough. There's enough room in England to support about 300 pairs of hen harriers, and yet these birds have been persecuted out of existence. Um, we're just nowhere near the threshold for uh, any kind of brew ma management and having worked for RSPB now for 20 odd years the population has never been flourishing enough to uh, even enable brood management so unless persecution stops and hen harriers do get up to a proper healthy population then the discussion's academic anyway. It's off the table. It would be yes unless they manage to get uh, a really big healthy population. Uh, the raptor study groups, that's kind of what they're saying as well, isn't it? This is not something that any of us really want. Yeah, we, we've um, NERF, Northern England Raptor Forum, issued a statement at the time when, when this was broached that we wouldn't support brood management at this time. There just isn't the birds there. The population does need to be 
vastly improved before we could even get into them discussions and we got to remember that when the study was done the, the effects on grouse shooting were, were minimal with with the baseline population of around about 100 pairs and that was without taking into consideration that there was going to be diversionary feeding so there are other methods of limiting the loss of grouse before we get into a situation where we even need to think about brood management. Yeah. You've been working up here a long time. Can you just explain to people who really don't understand what are some of the methods that are being used to remove, in quotation marks, hen harriers from suitable breeding grounds, just like the ones we're standing next to now? In a typical year, we can expect to see, if a pair of hen harrier return and, and start to skydance, we can expect to see burning suddenly appears in exactly the same sort of areas. Of the heather? Of the heather, yeah, the, the, the upland burning. Uh, and vehicles are suddenly uh, often seen in these exact same areas, even helicopters. Um, it is very easy to dissuade a hen harrier to nest. It, it, it doesn't like a lot of disturbance, so that's one of the methods. Obviously, direct persecution is an issue, either whilst preparing to nest or whilst nesting or even post-nesting. So there are other covert ways of affecting a nest as well, which uh, I wouldn't like to discuss publicly in case they go any further. Something I would just add to this is that one of the uh, uh, the raptor workers a few years ago found, and it was uh, it was in spring, and it was a young female peregrine. Um, it still had brown feathers, so it would have been uh, less than a year old, mm-hmm. and it was found dead on the moors. And it was taken for um, an X-ray, and it was found to have two shotgun pellets in it. But the two shotgun pellets were different sized, which means that this poor peregrine in its short life had been shot not once but on two separate occasions and it was less than a year old and it was found on a grouse moor. That is a point that's occasionally being missed in all of this it isn't just hen harrows that have have been taken out of these moors it's other birds of prey as well. No I think the discussion needs to be widened to to cover all the birds of prey I mean largely devoid of larger raptors in many of these upland areas and and the the breeding figures are there to, to prove just how unsuccessful they are. There was a paper done by uh, Dr. Arjun Amar on a success of peregrines and compared the, the uplands to um, areas away from the uplands and it just isn't the success rate and it's clearly linked to these upland areas. Peregrine falcons in the centre of Manchester, you know, in the middle of a city, can have a greater success rate than one nesting in the middle of the beautiful Peak District moors. And that happens time and again. Birds that are nesting in remote areas are susceptible to being interfered with. Um, I was chatting with Mike earlier and he said that there are just three pairs of peregrines nesting this year in the dark peak of the Peak District National Park. And all of those are on nature conservation land like RSPB reserves and whereas there should be about a dozen pairs I think there are about a dozen territories where peregrines should be traditionally nesting and uh, so you know that's nine that have vanished. I mean just on the issue of peregrines I mean the Derbyshire Wildlife Trust we actually have a pair of breeding peregrines actually at the mill where I work um, we had a wildlife crime committed against a male peregrine earlier this year. Actually, one was shot and found. Yeah, it, was it was really sad. I, you know, I really enjoy our peregrines. It's amazing to go out at lunchtime and watch the males hunting. 
And also we're involved in a project in Derby, in Derby Cathedral, where we have peregrines. We, we work to get a platform up there with local people, and it's a very successful project. People really like it. We've had um, young peregrines have just hatched there recently. But I think one of the things that really concerns me is that the very issues that um, Tim um, and Mike have been talking about is why is it in a national park we yeah. still can't get back breeding peregrines? This is one of our most magnificent birds of prey along with hen harriers. People visit national parks to see the amazing beauty. This is some of the most stunning landscapes we have in the UK and to see the wonderful wildlife in these parks. And it's very, very sad that we do not have these amazing birds of prey in some of our most spectacular landscapes. And I think that has to be addressed, absolutely. Yeah. It is kind of ironic in a way now that we almost have a reverse situation where peregrines are doing very well in urban areas, but actually in upland areas where they originally, you know, would have traditionally bred yeah. They're not doing very well. And I do have to say that is an outrageous situation. Yes, yes. And I think the public would not accept it. You know, working for the Wildlife Trust, I do not accept it. Um, people coming into this national park, the Peak District National Park is one of the most visited national parks in the world. It is a spectacular place. You know, I grew up in this national park. I know it very, very well. It's where I learned to bird watch. Um, and I care passionately about why we haven't got these birds back in the park and I'm determined to work as hard as I can with many different organisations to try and reverse that trend. Yeah, I, I was just going to say to you Tim, actually that, that is something that occasionally gets missed because we do tend to talk about grouse moors. This is all taking place within national parks, which I think a lot of people don't realise. I think the situation we now have is where we get more and more people visiting these parks. Um, so we're encouraging more people out in the countryside to see more wildlife. So when you're visiting a national park, people are expecting to see wildlife. They want to see these wonderful things. Why should people be denied the opportunity to see hen harriers, to see peregrines? Um, you know, th this is wrong and it has to change. And I, I think there, there is, there are millions of people, as I said before, to a few people who are members of um, the Wildlife Trust. We have 800,000 members, a million, a million people with the RSPB, groups like Friends of the Earth. Um, plant life, bug life, there are all these wonderful organisations. So millions of people care about our wildlife. Yeah. And yet, I think in some of our most beautiful areas, they are being denied the opportunity to see this wildlife. And this has to change. And I think we, we need to see some significant political change here. We need to see some cultural change in, in the way we, we, we view our uplands and the, the wildlife that we can expect in our uplands. And I think it, you know, it's very important that many different organisations come together to try and achieve those aims, um, and that's what we're working towards. You guys are professional conservationists. You, you must see sometimes what's being said on Twitter, blogs, that, you know, is there any point to what you do on your watch that these things are happening? Come on, pull your finger out. I mean, how hurtful must that be? Because you guys care about these birds, don't you? I mean, genuinely, you really care absolutely if somebody said right here's a million pounds you've got an unlimited budget protect that pair of hen harriers we could have the state-of-the-art night vision things we could keep a watch on the uh, on the nest at all times but what you can't do is run after the male every time he goes off hunting and keep an eye on him wherever he goes because he can go in any direction disappear over a hill to the north the first time come back with some food disappear to the south the second time you cannot keep an eye on him all the time 
time. Mm. And if somebody shoots him whilst he's off on one of his hunting forays, that's the end of that nest, even though you can have spent a million pounds protecting that one nest. And that is what has happened in Boland. You had three nests that were being watched and protected and the males vanished when they were away from the nest. So it, it really is a difficult task uh, to do. And it, it's, it's not really helpful. It's dispiriting when people do criticise the conservationists when it's really the, you know, the perpetrators of the crime that should have the, the spotlight focused on them. Yeah, absolutely. Tim, you must feel um, the same way. Well, um, yeah, look, I, I do. Um, obviously, I mean, I do care passionately about these issues. This is a, is a difficult issue, and I don't think it can be fixed by what you call a professional conservationist. I think we, we're here to help, and we, at times, we, you know, we can lead, but it's everybody's responsibility here. And by that, yeah. I mean... We need everybody to be advocates for, for birds of prey and to be opposed to wildlife crime because we need to see um, sort of the groundswell of public opinion really coming through here that I think can actually help to make the changes you know, that we need to kind of see being brought in. Yeah. So that means, for example, people contacting your local MP. When your local MP knows these are issues that people really care about, then they will be forced to take action. So... Um, we have to all work in this together. Clearly, I think we need to reach out to, the, to gamekeepers and the Moreland community for those people who are acting responsibly and are acting legally. We need to work effectively with the good guys, um, and that's something we're keen to do as well. And we need, we need to work with many different partner organisations to try and fix this. It isn't going to be easy. We know it isn't easy. Um, but I do believe that actually public opinion is key here. The more people raise concerns about why they are not seeing the wildlife they should be seeing in a national park, um, then I think that's going to help to turn things around. Yeah, I suppose really what I meant by saying professional conservationists is <laughs> whenever a story like this breaks, it's the professionals who, who take the blame, basically. It's you guys who get the criticism. And I think it's, I mean, obviously, I think it's totally unfair. As, as you say, it's the responsibility of all of us. We all have to get involved with this. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you on that, Charlie. I think what has struck me this morning is that me and you have kept saying, why didn't we know about that? I just want to say it's been a privilege this morning being with these guys. I have learned so much. And uh, we just need to get this information out there and get more and more people involved, get more and more people caring about what's happening to our wildlife. I mean, we are all angry. If, if anybody doubts at all, they should be standing here in the rain <laughs> with us now. You know, the, the RSPB cares. Derbyshire Wildlife Trust care. The raptor groups care. You know, there's, there's no question about it. But sometimes you read social media and you wonder whether, whether people actually understand that at all, which is I, grossly I think, unfair. I think also one of the, one of the things that, that I know we all kind of share and it, it's about looking to the future because... When we drive around, for example, the Peak Disney National Park, I mean, it is an absolutely beautiful national park. The future that we could have with more abundant wildlife, particularly in our uplands, you know, with peregrines, with hen harriers, with goshawk, with merlin, you know, all these amazing birds of prey. But the future is, is very, very bright if we get it right and if we can actually convince people that actually getting more wildlife back into our, some of our most spectacular national parks is the way forward. The ecotourism opportunities are huge. There are significant benefits for the local economy, the local rural economy, if we can really work hard to improve the situation regarding our wildlife. There's no question about that. Final question, can we win? We must. Yeah, we really must win. It's uh, intolerable to have a situation where criminal offences are being committed against our wildlife 
on a daily basis and nothing is being done about it. So, uh, yeah, uh, the, the laws must change to tip the balance in uh, uh, wildlife's favour and in people who appreciate wildlife's favour. Look, there's, there's absolutely no question we need to get our most spectacular wildlife back in our most spectacular landscapes. There's a long way to go. There's no question we have to win, and I think we will. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to know more about the RSPB's work on Hen Harris, please go to rspb.org.uk forward slash Hen Harriers. The Derbyshire Wildlife Trust website is at derbyshirewildlifetrust.org.uk and the Peak District Raptor Monitoring Group is online at pdrmg.wordpress.com. If you'd like to know more about Rare Bird Alert and the services it offers, please go to rarebirdalert.co.uk. And if you'd like to support a local bookseller that not only offers great prices, but supports conservation as well, please go to wildsounds.com. Thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.